Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and our guest this week is Thaddeus Phillips, whose one-man show, 17 Border Crossings, takes theatergoers around the world in 90 minutes as it looks at what can happen when people attempt to pass from one country to another. This timely and inventive production just opened at New York Theater Workshop, where it's currently scheduled to run through May 12th. Hello, Thaddeus Phillips. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. We usually start these conversations by talking a bit about what the show is about for people who haven't had a chance to see it. So could you tell our listeners what 17 Border Crossings is about? Yes, 17 Border Crossings, um, well, a lot of the idea of it is actually given away in the title. (laughs) It's about 17 Border Crossings. And they're um, essentially a collage of uh, many different plays, like 17 different plays, really. Each one with a little beginning, middle, and end. Some are very short, some are longer, that are just simply about crossing from one border to the next. Where did you get the idea for this play? I uh, would travel to different places. Like uh, we made a show called Lost Souls that was at the Mama. Uh, gosh, I think 20 years in 2000. I traveled... Uh, the research was done in Cuba for that play. I did another play called The Filament Cycle, where research was done in Bosnia, and another play, uh, let's see, uh, called The Melting Bridge, where research was done in the Amazon between Brazil and Colombia. Mm-hmm. So doing, you know, traveling to these places to research these performances, there were a lot of stories that weren't about the content of the shows, but were really interesting. So I would do the plays and some friends of mine would be like, well, where's that cool story about what happened at the border? Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> so as I started to collect those stories, I uh, realized that they were mostly all about border crossings. So then the theme emerged and I thought, well, let's just make a show just about border crossings. And that's kind of how it started of selecting what are interesting borders that I've crossed where weird things have happened kind of the strangest and oddest being coming back from weird countries to the United States. And then I'm very inspired by the work of Spalding Gray, where, you know, I always wanted to do a show where you just sit at a desk with a microphone and a glass of water and a map and, you know, classic Spalding Gray style monologue. So we start with that. We have an homage to Simon Cambodia in this version here at the North Theater Workshop. But then, like I I'm unable to sit still, and I'm very interested in um, <laughs> a visual spectacle, but using the most minimum means possible. So that table and chair and lamp and this bar of light start to kind of transform into chair lifts or top shots of uh, small, um, you know, hot rooms at the airport in Denpasar, very cinematic images, very theatrical images. The whole thing begins with. Um, Henry V's uh, Agincourt speech, complete with Shakespearean like drums and smoke. So there's all these like very large scale theatrical elements. There's uh, all that she wants is you know the baby by Ace of Base in there coming through different speakers. So there's like a 
a huge visual play of uh, um, theatrics and spectacle, but again, using the most minimum means possible. Was it was it hard to choose which stories to tell? I was fascinated by the number seventeen. Why did you choose seventeen? And was it difficult to choose which stories of the many border crossings you've had? Well, seventeen was chosen because it sounds good. It does. Fourteen doesn't work. Sixteen doesn't work. Eighteen's weird. And I think it was Tatiana who's directing the show was just like we. She was like it should be (laughs) seventeen. And so because we had enough, and in the organization of the structure, you could. there's some play in that one border crossing because it involves going to a place and coming back that could count as two crossings. So as we changed and developed the show or add new things or take things out, we may each crossing it has an introduction like border crossing between Colombia and Brazil by plane 2009. So if you get that introduction, that's a crossing. If you don't, that's not. So. So that we can always have 17, even if we're changing and adapting the show. Mm-hmm. And and the show, the structure is incredibly important and interesting. A couple of the crossings have been divided throughout the show. So you get a little piece of a crossing early, but you don't find out anything else about it till later. And another one is divided in three. And then there's a couple sub-characters who come back up that really allow for the audience to kind of make up their own interior stories within that and uh again the crossings are just presented as the crossings this is what happened crossing from here to here it's a very european style theater which i find sometimes new york especially press have a problem understanding that we're not trying to shove any idea down your throat although we have very strong and very clear opinions it's presented like a Vin vendors movie or like a jim jarmusch movie you know like these really strange characters and these strange events kind of happening so there's a very cinematic feel because i have a huge influence from that but told in this very theatrical way but i don't want listeners to be sort of frightened away by it because they're these little short stories that are really very relatable oh yeah no 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 my whole style of theater and the way i grew up making theater is to make theater more accessible especially people i mean it's the most accessible thing you'll ever see probably ever in in one way because these are regular travel stories on one level very irregular on another but they're crossing from a border through newark airport dealing with the customs guy and that's what i mean by very cinematic the cinematic quality brings it into a contemporary audience a lot of whom are used to seeing stuff on netflix or on tv or a more chopped up narrative than a traditional play you know talking around a kitchen sink with three or four scenes so in that sense that makes it incredibly fun and the 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 whole tone of it is like a stand-up comedy in a way that it's presented but then there's these things that are incredibly sad and tragic Mm -hmm. right in the middle of comic moments so it's it's like um that gives it the weight but then the stand-up comedy feel is what drives it forward it kind of like not such a didactic and heavy evening of theater but a kind of really funny fun yet harrowing at times night out (laughs) (laughs) now you said pieces can move in and out as long as they add up to the 17 so i have to ask what effect did the current u.s debate over immigration have on the play 
Well, see, it's so interesting because the, the, the border wall, in quotes, already was approved in a different format uh, years ago as a border fence. So that was already under construction. It just was more of a fence. Mm-hmm. So those lines that we already had in there about the wall being created between the United States and Mexico in the last crossing now just have much more weight to them. And that certain events and things that have happened since changed those crossings. So now, you know, I encountered a guy who was detained by ICE, which obviously didn't happen before the current political climate. So then that's like, well, that story should go in here. And recent events in Venezuela, or happening between the border of Colombia and Venezuela, um, forced something, us to create something to address that. Um, So that's how certain things are actively updated by us and changed. So there used to be a whole thing about the Arab Spring and this guy who set himself on fire to protest the Tunisian government. Um, That's not in the show. That was relevant more to the first time we did it. So in a way, there's these certain things that are always the same and certain things that are like uh, adaptable. And these are all based... Within the frame right of the of the crossings and these are all based on your own experiences as a traveler it's structured in such a way that there's desks moments when i'm talking at a desk and those are mostly about something else someone else some other crossing I some see. strange thing that i read about so there's and it's obvious when it's about me mm-hmm. uh and when it's when it's not when it's about someone else because i'm actively talking about that other person but it's important you know, to give a whole global perspective and a perspective of traveling, uh, the other people have traveling. Because, you know, I have a U.S. passport, other people right. don't. So right. there's a whole balance between how absurd it is, how easy it is for us to go to places and how completely difficult it is for other people just because of where we were born, nothing we decide. You devise these with your director and I believe also wife, yes? Uh yeah, uh, Tatiana yeah. Malarino. Um, yeah. What's what's the writing process for the two of you? Do you improvise? Do you write first? Yeah, and then... the first. Yeah, exactly. The, it's improvised. So the first versions were totally improvised, um, very loose, and then from that they just start to get organized and then written. Because you know we have lighting cues and sound cues yes. uh, that are really intricate. I mean, that David Tadaro's used probably the fewer lights in any show I've ever seen at the workshop, but to the most effective and extraordinary way. And Rob Kaplowitz's sound design is um, got these bullhorn speakers floating around, a little Fender sound all over the place. So a lot of times it feels like it's on the radio, the, the play. So in that sense, the script had to become fairly precise because of all the cues that are dependent mm-hmm. on it to mm-hmm. bring the whole production together. But a lot of it was you know, honed in from improvisation or like a long process. They seem so integral to the the sound and the light and your movement to the production. So that changes from uh, uh, production to production as well? It it will, you know, if we have to do a new crossing, we have to figure out how to do that. And so it's the same toolkit, really. How are we going to do this crossing with the table and the chair and an Mm -hmm. interesting light and some sound? And if we change something, then we might have to change something else next to it so it's not too similar. We have this new part about Colombia and Venezuela here in New York, and that affected this other part in Bosnia that happens next, which allowed us and forced us 
to create a whole new way to do that sequence. And then there were certain things that on on tours that we always wanted to fix, but we just didn't have a chance with a you know one day load in, in Moscow or whatever. You know, now with some proper tech time, we were able to do some really cool voiceover trick that make my life a little simpler. So my voice disappears in the mic and it keeps going in the mic, but I'm no longer talking into the mic. But I'm allowed to go do something else to prepare for the next scene. So there's a lot of neat, elegant tricks like that that we've been able to do here for the first time ever that's you know really exciting now you have performed this in other countries so i'm wondering is there a difference in the way uh audiences have received uh the work because the settings are all over the world yeah there are it's completely different it's very interesting so um it, it, i mean there, it's different between doing it in new york or denver huh. because the, the audiences in Denver are thinking about something different than audiences in New York. You know, certain um, certain issues are much more heightened in New York, where in Denver people don't care about any of that, right? But then especially when you go to, um, like when we did the show in Colombia, it's very different because you're very conscious. Right. You know, we are um, putting the main character that's me with a U.S. passport and a lot of Colombians. Their passport's better than it used to be, but it's not a great one. So it puts a much more heavy emphasis on the fact of how bizarre it is on who can travel and who can't when you're in, in certain countries and so it just changes you, you're basically looking at the show from a different angle depending on where you're from or where you're performing it and that's really exciting in Moscow certain things uh, be, mean something different just because their relationship to Europe so certain lines about Germany and Austria are, are totally different than they are here they're also different depending on the ages of the audiences. And in Australia, it was very fun doing it because the Australians are, you know, so far at the bottom of the world over there. They travel all the time. So when we did it in Perth, they they're, they're, they had been to all the places that I'm talking about. So it wasn't like this strange thing they're hearing about. They were like, they were there yesterday, like in Bali. You know, that for everyone else is this weird exotic place. And Bali for them is where they go on the weekend. So that actually gives everything a much greater perspective. But what's been so great, I mean, we will show up and, you know, have a one-day load and do it three nights in some crazy place. But now that we're settling in at the New York Theater Workshop, all these connections are, are kind of like we're, we're able to really see the whole show as one thing. And there's certain lines at the end that this guy who I met in Juarez was talking about, um, that are allowing me to kind of frame the whole show in this cosmic perspective more consciously as a performer. Hmm. So it's really fun because it's starting to get, you know, every little moment is starting to get more detailed and nuanced because, you know, again, it's not a play about one person who has a relationship or something like that. You know, it's these 17 very different things all over the place, but it is being told by the same person. So there's an obvious connection, but now I'm able to like tie the whole thing together as one complete, really strange performance. And I've been inspired a lot by Orson Welles and Touch of Evil and even that thing Ephra Fakey did, that really crazy movie. So we've added this whole kind of feeling of like an Orson Wellesian magic, you know, like, you know how he would always show up on TV doing magic tricks mm -hmm. in the 70s. And so there's this kind of whole thing with the passport you're going to get in the mail. And then there's this magic cowboy hat that appears at the end, blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> so it's like a, has that kind of, you know, and he, his basis, 
like mine, I'm not going to compare myself to him, but, you know, it's from the theater. And this show starts, you know, very strongly with Henry V right in the middle right. of the Agincourt speech because Henry V mentions the passports in that speech. One of the fun things in it is that occasionally the dialogue is in different languages and they all sound so authentic. How many languages do you speak? Well, I, I can speak fluently English and Spanish. Uh, I used to speak Italian, but I got confused now that I learned Spanish, so let <laughs> just trip up. And then I know I know the the quality of Serbian, which is also Bosnian and, and um, Croatian. Those are really the same language. So uh, I, I kind of can understand a lot of it, and I really like it. So I can say some words that make people think I can speak it, but they don't really speak it. And Czech, I studied in Prague, so I know a little bit, but it's incredibly difficult. And then I was working in Quebec for a while, so I know a little French, but that also I find trouble. The, and then the Hungarian, I don't know at all, but I learned that um, from a Hungarian cab driver in Connecticut taught me the Hungarian life in the play. <laughs> and then uh, a Jordanian technical director from Miami at a theater taught me the, the Jordanian Arabic uh, that we're using. <laughs> it's sprinkled through, and it just gives it a little extra extra flavor. One of the things I also wanted to ask you that's a little more general than about this particular show is that uh, this is uh, a solo show, and in the past I've read you've done one-man versions of Lear and The Tempest, and I just wonder, what is it that appeals to you about the solo format? Well, I, I mean, I, King Lear was the first thing I did because that's how everyone should start. This <laughs> King Lear. But since it's hard, you, you, no one's going to let you do it. So you have to do it yourself. So that's the first problem. So, you know, I had to do it as a solo show because I was like 25. No one's going to let me do it unless I do it myself. Um, and I had just seen the Jim Henson Puppet Theater Festival. I saw Fred Churchek do a version of The Tempest. And so I devised a King Lear out of a suitcase with all these puppets and weird shoes and this astroturf and this umbrella for the storm and a Javanese puppet. It, in a way, it wasn't a total solo show. It was more like an object puppet show. Then you start to figure out what are the, you know, it, it presents all these creative challenges and dramaturgical ones. And then I developed The Tempest, which was kind of easier because you can argue that Prospero's alone on the island is kind of crazy and just playing with mm -hmm. these pieces from the shipwreck, rope, water, mm -hmm. Miranda's doll, uh, an old sword it's you know a twofold thing is one it allows you to keep working whether or not anyone's hiring you or not <laughs> and then you can also do these kinds of creative challenges you know it's it's much easier to tour around to remote places if the show is you know has less people or you know less set design stuff well i don't want to strain the metaphor here but the show allows those of us who are wa watching it to take a journey with you. It seems as though you're putting the show together for us as 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 we watch you, and 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 that's a it's a great deal of fun to watch. Oh, great! That's great to hear. That's kind of the idea, yeah. Uh, and kind of put together enough elements to make you feel what that place feels like without having a huge realistic set design. Yeah, that's why when you said at the beginning, 
talking about Spalding Gray, and I was thinking, well, yes, I see the homage, but you don't just sit at that desk. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> uh, it's it's a, a great deal of fun watching the show. It's also thought-provoking, and um, it's also been fun talking to you, and I want to thank you for, for talking to us about it. No, it was super interesting. I always learn new things in this conversation. Um, well, thanks, and, and, and I'm sure um, uh, many of our listeners will uh, enjoy uh, taking the journey with you as well. Yeah, so, perfect. That's great to hear. Okay, thanks again. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>